You know, I want to I want to talk just for a couple of minutes here about the sound of glory approaching. Because you can hear God coming, just like this rain outside. I get excited about that because of the story you guys have heard me tell about us dedicating the altar there in the Twin, at Twin Rivers when God gave us the breakthrough after a whole year of needing those building permits. And I won't tell the whole story tonight. And this is the sound he gave us. We walked into a building and it sounded just like this. We ran outside because the kids had left their suitcases outside because the buses had dropped them off from Winterfest. When they went outside, there was no rain. It was night, there was stars in the sky, there was no rain. You could walk outside and it was total quiet. Silent night, holy night. You walked inside, this is the sound you heard. And we were absolutely amazed that God's presence has showed up that way. So when I hear God show up in this way, it really, it's more personal to me. You know, in the book of Genesis chapter three, verse eight, the Bible says they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the sound of God coming. How many of you know that you can hear glory coming? God's footsteps are big. God's footprints are big. God's footsteps are loud. Have you ever heard someone walking across the floor above you? Something happens, you can hear better when someone's walking above you. And when you hear God coming from above you, you can hear his presence coming. What is the sound of glory coming? Well, the sound of glory coming is worship. You'll never see the glory of God, never see the glory of God descend on a place where there's not hearts of worshipers broken out all over the place. And every revival movement, you had prayer preceding it and you had glory hosting it. You had worship hosting it. Every revival movement there's ever been. You had a group of intercessors that were praying it in. And then you had a group of worshipers that were hosting the glory, giving God a place to sit, a place to dwell. The glory of God is about to come to the earth. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that revival is coming to this earth? And the revival is gonna be hosted in places where people have abandoned themselves and gone after God in a state in a place of worship. It's going to come for people that are hungry after God's presence. Uh, you know, d don't take this as a judgment away. If you've heard me preach enough to know that I'm not a judge and I'm not a mean preacher and I'm not a browbeater. You, you need that, you need to go to somebody else. I'm not that. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to speak life into you. You want somebody that's just going to, you know, Life will also convict you, so I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm just not a mean guy in the pulpit. I'm a lover, not a fighter when it comes to the, when it comes to the kingdom. I want to build you up and send you home ready to take on the devil. I'm tired of the devil beating you up. I know where your strength comes from. Your strength comes from the Lord. Your strength comes from the Word. I want to put the Word in you. I want to put prayer in you. I want to get you on your feet. I want to get you, I want to get your tired hands in the air. I want to get your tired feet loosened up in God's presence. You get there, your life will be filled with joy. And in the presence of joy, there is always power. There is always strength in the presence of joy. Everybody that walks around looking for the devil over their shoulder, those people stay depressed most of the time. I'm telling you, if you're a demon chaser, you're going to be depressed most of the time. Don't be a demon chaser. Be an angel chaser. Be a God chaser. Chase the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is let God arise. His enemies will be scattered, I promise you. All you have to do is focus on God. Let God arise. That's the best way to cleanse your house. That's the best way to cleanse the atmosphere around you is just be a worshiper in God's presence. You know, the glory has a sound. 
the Bible says that as this revival approaches, because this cannot be about the millennial reign of Christ, this is something that has to happen before then. So in Amos 9 and 11, it talks about a day. On that day, I'm gonna raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair the damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. And why is he doing that? There's two reasons why he's doing that. Now, if you wanna know when they, re when they reference this scripture, it's when the, the Holy Spirit fell on the house of Cornelius. And they said, what has happened? They're not Jewish, they're Gentiles, they're Italian. How can they have received the Holy Spirit? And they said, this is what just happened. They are rebuilding the tabernacle of David in the Gentile world. That is when they reference this Amos 9 and 11 passage. It's when the house of Cornelius, when the Holy Spirit fell. This is a promise to the church. This is a promise to the New Testament church. And listen why he said he's doing it. I'm doing this that, look at verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing, who does what thing? builds the tabernacle of David. Anybody who comes before the Lord in worship, two things are gonna happen. The first thing that's gonna happen is they are gonna begin to possess their enemies. They're gonna begin to create an atmosphere that their enemy is gonna be afraid to walk into. When God is in the camp, the enemy stays away. How many of you know that? When God is in the camp, the enemy stays away. Some people have never learned that when you create an atmosphere of worship, it dispels your enemies. And the Lord said, I'm doing this so that you can possess the remnant of, of Edom and also you will gather the Gentiles who are called by my name. So you create an atmosphere of worship, you know what revival looks like? Revival looks like extolling God. The revival looks like exalting the Lord. That's what happened at Brownsville. That's what happened in the charismatic renewal. People got back to worship and the word. They prayed it in. They got back to worship in the word. They created these environments where the glory of God would settle. And you know what happens? Your enemies are scattered and people start getting saved. That's what happens in revival. That's what revival looks like. Revival doesn't look like the same saints getting slayed over and over and over. That's not what revival looks like. Revival looks like people getting saved. Revival looks like the glory of God coming down and bringing victory into people's lives. Hallelujah. And these two promises are associated with that. That's why when John saw this, he calls it not just the tabernacle of David, but the key of David. He says that in Revelation 3 and 7. He says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? These things I say, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David. What does it do? It opens up doors no man can shut. shuts doors no man can open. He who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. The key of David can open you up into God's presence and it can lock your, your, your enemies out of your life. Anybody ready to lock an enemy out? Anybody ready for the devil to come to your house and find the door locked? That's what happens when you move from one who is just always begging God, from one who is pursuing God. That's what happens when somebody moves from the position of begging God to move and someone who moves God through worship. Something shifts in that moment when you begin to see him in all of his splendor and all of his glory and you begin to love on him and worship him. See, the tabernacle of David was so unique because the world had never seen anything like it before. When David went and got the Ark of the Covenant, instead of taking it back to Gibeon where the tabernacle of Moses was still standing, 
David said, for 20 years, you worshiped God, or you, for 20 years, you went in and threw blood on the floor when there was no Ark of the Covenant. You didn't even know that the glory of God had departed, and you just went through rituals of worship as though God was there. And David said, I am not taking the Ark of God back to that place where you were going through rituals that looked like worship, but there was no power in it. There was no godliness in it. There was no glory in it. You were going through the rituals of the feast as if though, as if God's presence was there when you knew the Holy of Holies was empty. David said, I'm not going there. I'm, I'm bringing it to Zion. And David built a brand new tabernacle, but it wasn't just a tent for the Ark of the Covenant. In, around the Ark of the Covenant, David did something no one has done. You can read that scripture. I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 17, where it talks about David bringing the Ark in. And, you know, it's an incredible story of every six paces. And the that's when David was ridiculed for dancing before the Lord by his wife, Michal. And, and because she had a, a spirit on her that made fun of his worship. Listen, don't let anybody make fun of your worship. You see somebody breaking an alabaster box, just get out out of their way. You have no idea what it cost them to get to that moment. And you know how you have no idea how long they're going to live in that moment. Hallelujah. Anybody ever broken an alabaster box and lived for months on that? You live for months on the touch of God's presence. So David brought it back to Mount Zion. Now, those of you who've been to Israel, you know that Mount Zion, the top of it is, is, is limestone. It's a white rock. It's a white stone at the top. So he creates this, this tabernacle on top of this white limestone, and it literally cost him, in our currency today, $33 million per year that he budgeted just for the tabernacle. Now think about that. Think about that budget. $33 million in our currency today, $33 million a year, and he did this for 33 years. What did he spend it on? He, he hired full-time ministers who did nothing but worship God day and night. He had 862 priests who were assigned to the tabernacle. That's all they did is worship God. They had 24-hour-a-day worship, seven days a week without ceasing. They, they worshiped in shifts. One choir would leave, another choir would walk onto the risers, and another one would leave. One praise team would end a song, and another praise team would start a song. He had 862 full-time employees. Now, the Bible tells all kinds of stories about this in different places. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com, or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. Asaph was over the percussion guys. So all of you guys would have reported to Asaph. But the sons of Asaph were the recorders because what you have to understand is in this place of worship, 
all this prophecy was coming out, like Psalm 22 that prophesied Jesus dying on the cross. That's the, that's the Psalm that says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They literally prophesied the cross of Jesus and the words he would say. If you read Psalm 22, it talks about his tongue cleaving to the roof of his mouth. It talks about his body being dehydrated. They literally were seeing visions of the future. They saw the, there, there are Psalms that talk about the rapture of the church. There are Psalms that talk about the second coming of the Lord. There are Psalms that prophesy the revival that is coming to the earth right now. It's in the Psalms. I mean, in this place of worship day and night, there were all kinds of prophetic songs coming forth and the sons of Asaph were the recorders. Every time someone would start singing a prophecy or reciting a prophecy, they would write it down. Now you can open your Bible and read it. We call it the Psalms. You can read the prophecies now. Prophecies that talked about the future. Prophecies that, that revealed the secrets of God. There is even a Psalm that reenacts the children of Israel in the Red Sea and tells you details that you don't get in the book of Exodus that gives you details in the, in the revelation that God gave them in the tabernacle of David. You get details of the Red Sea crossing that you don't even get in the book of Exodus because it was a place of revelation. When you can create a place of glory, you can create a place of revelation, you can create a place of healing, you can create a place of prophecy. There were 14 praise and worship leaders that just rotated in and out all the time. There were, there were 288 singers just in the choir and they worked in shifts and they had, do, do the math, it's 12 times 24. And so you had probably 24 uh, singers in the choir in 12 shifts around the clock, two hour shifts around the clock where they would sing for a couple of hours, but they, David did not want them getting tired on the Lord. David did not want them sitting down on the Lord. David did not want them listening to other people. He wanted worshipers in that room, so he paid them to worship for two hours. Listen, there are people today, again, I'm, I'm not fussing, I'm just telling you the truth. There are people today that can't worship for 20 minutes, and they were worshiping for two hours, and then another group would come in for two more hours, and there were people working the night shift and all night long so that the worship never, ever ended in the presence of God. Davidic worship was about hosting the presence of God. It was just about breaking through to a level you've never been in before. I've seen this so many times in my life. I'll never forget when I went to Bethel uh, School of Ministry out in, out in California, and I just wanted to sit in their classes for a week. And I went out there just to learn and observe and, and, and just see what they were doing. And one of the things that impressed me the most is every morning before they taught anything, they had about an hour of worship that was phenomenal. I mean, these kids around, this, around the Civic Center, is particularly is where I remember it the most, is they would go into worship and you have never seen people worship until you've seen Bethel worship. You've heard their music and probably worshiped to their songs 
tongues, but you ought to be there when their kids go after God. And they were laying in the floor, they were walking around, they were leaning up against the walls. It was amazing. And for an hour, some days it was longer than that, some days it was two hours that they would just worship with such an intense that I have never seen but a few places in my life. That is the reason they had so many miracles. That is one of the reasons they had so much, so many supernatural manifestations that you typically don't see in most churches that give God his 20 minutes, you know. Yeah, that's something that you typically don't see, but it was amazing. I never forget when I would go to Daystar TV to speak, and I don't know how many of you watch Daystar, but I've spoken on, uh, you know, uh, most all of the religious networks at one time or another, but Daystar was different from all of them. I would go to some of those, and I won't mention their names, but I mean, they would just kind of plug you in, you would do your thing, and they would escort you out and take you back to the hotel, and another guest would come on, and they just kind of kept it moving, kind of cattle call, but not Daystar. You would arrive at Daystar an hour early, and before the cameras were ever turned on, their singers would sing. And I remember Marcus and Joni saying, we don't want to turn the cameras on until the glory of God has entered the room. It was such a different experience than any other place I went to. I would go to other places and they just wanted me to talk, but, but at Daystar, they wanted you to worship. Before you ever heard those singers worshiping, you should have been there an hour earlier when their hands were in the air, they were on their knees before the Lord and they were crying their eyes out before the cameras ever turned on because they valued the anointing and they valued the presence of God. That is why Psalm 22 says, God, you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. And that literally means that God is looking for a place to sit. God is looking for a place to inhabitate. Sometimes we forget that. I'm going to go, I'll be in uh, Israel this fall in the month of, I'm leading a team there in, at the beginning of July. I know Perry's leading one also that month, a, little bit, a couple of weeks later than, than the group that I'm leading. I love to go to Israel because one of the things that I'm always impressed by is at the Wailing Wall. At the Wailing Wall, you see people worshiping in a particular way, and they bend just like this because in Hebrew, the word for worship is, is different from sometimes what we see as worship. The word is saha, which literally, they call it shuckling. So if you're there, you see them, the rabbis and the people shuckling while they pray because they're going up and down just like this the whole time. But the reason for that is because the word worship is saha, which means to bend your head below your heart. It means don't let your head get so involved in your worship that it talks you out of it. Don't let your head get so involved in worship that you're more worried about what somebody thinks about you looking silly than a God on the throne who's waiting on you to show up. Don't, don't let your head talk you out of saying this is not my personality when it seems to be your personality at a ball game. And it seems, when celebration seems to be your personality when you're watching football, and it seems to be your personality at a basketball game, but suddenly it's not your personality in church. God's not buying that, I'm not buying that, no one's buying that but you. Because that is an excuse not to worship. You know what the word hallelujah means? You know, you sang that song earlier, I'm gonna raise a hallelujah. You know what the word hallelujah means? It's Hallel Jah. Jah is the, is the short version of Jehovah. Hallel means to celebrate to the point of looking foolish. 
And I'm telling you, I'm way beyond titles. I'm way beyond degrees. I'm way beyond whatever you might think of me. When there is a king in the room, I don't care who else is in the room. I'm not letting it. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. I don't care who's looking. I don't care who thinks it's silly. I don't care if the Macau spirit says it's too undignified. I don't care who is looking. When there's a king in the room, I am chasing after him. If it makes me look silly, then let it look silly, but I'm going to give God Hallel praise. I'm going to celebrate a king as if only he and I are the only two people in the room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship is not about singers ministering to you. That's where some people miss it. Doesn't matter who's up here. Doesn't matter what they're singing. Worship is not about, that's, that's what entertainment is about. But worship is not about singers ministering to you. Worship is not even about God ministering to you. There's some people so needy, all they want is one more, one more, one more. God is, worship is not about God making you feel better again. Worship is not about singers making you feel better again. Worship is about you ministering to God. Now get this, worship is not about singers ministering to you. Worship is not about God ministering to you. Worship is not about a preacher ministering to you. Worship is about you ministering to God. It is a gift that we bring before the presence of God. And when you hear glory approaching, it always has a sound. It has a sound of worship. It has a sound of going after God. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world.